If you watch CNN or MSNBC, which I do not recommend, but if you do, you will soon discover that conservatives and leftists, Republicans and Democrats are living in what increasingly seems like completely different universes, completely different framings, understandings of the world. Now, this would especially be true, you would think, for the party and the group of people who believe that babies are not babies, that men are women, that up is down, that left is right. But the left seems to believe that it is we Republicans, we conservatives, we right-wingers who are the lunatics. Nicole Wallace decided to talk about the fact-free right-wing with, of all people, Al Sharpton. I was off a couple of days last week and I tuned in to a little bit of Fox News in primetime and was aghast. I mean, they are pumping flagrant lies into the millions of viewers on their network. They are saying, they are interviewing these lunatics. These, these, they call them lawyers. I'm not sure how any of them have law degrees who are saying that there are a million votes here and observers not here. These cases have been filed. They have gone before judges who are Democratic and Republican appointees, and they've all been thrown out. I mean, do you share President Obama's concern about this alternate universe of fact-free information that's being pumped into Trump's base? I shared absolutely, and then some. We can have in any political climate different opinions, but we can't have different facts. We are now in a nation where facts don't matter. You make up facts, and not only do you have an alternative uh, reality, how do you debate someone that is dealing from a totally fictitious premise? How do you debate someone who is coming from a totally fictitious premise? Says Al Sharpton, one of the most famous liars in American politics on MSNBC, which has lied and gotten everything wrong for the past four years. We will examine how we got to the alternative universes and how to come back home. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Jane DeBelleville. What a lovely name that is. From Jane who says, censorship on social media for the left is the equivalent of book burning on a massive, massive scale. This is true. And actually the left is engaging in book burning right now, explicitly talking about how great it would be to burn books. One book in particular, which we touched on a little bit yesterday, a book that argues against transing the kids, turning little boys into looking more like little girls. Uh, but I actually think the right gets the idea of book burning and censorship a little bit wrong. I think they're, they're kind of misstating their argument. And as, the, as a result of that, we're giving the left more of an opportunity to attack us. We will get all into that. It actually all has to do with how we frame the world. Uh, you know, th this is a time of increasing strife, of increasing danger, of uh, it, it seems increasing insecurity, which is why it's very good to defend yourself. The ability to defend yourself and your family has never been more important or critical, and you need to be prepared. That is why Personal Defense Network has the world's largest collection of high-quality educational self-defense material on the internet. From firearms to self-defense to home defense training, Personal Defense Network will come to your rescue, quite literally. Uh, this is not just some like old training video out of the 80s where you put it on, you know, and you just sort of watch it and doesn't, no. 
These guys have spent many months developing content specifically for these trying times. And they don't just tell you what to do. They explain the whys and the hows to help you develop your skills on your own. I was so thrilled when Personal Defense Network came on the show because, look, I just moved to Tennessee. This is a place where you actually are allowed to defend yourself. Me, I'm not, I don't exactly have, you know, special forces training here, uh, but it's a wonderful way to get to learn how to defend yourself. So right now, text code M-I-C-H-A-E-L to 474747. The discount that you will get will automatically apply at checkout. Because you're a listener of mine, their premium membership will be, I kid you not, $3. $3 for the first year. PDN tells me this is one of their best deals ever because this plane normally sells for $69. Text code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, to 474747, and the discount will automatically apply at checkout. Alternative universes. You know, Nicole Wallace doesn't have any credibility when she mentions this on MSNBC. MSNBC has been running conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory for the past four years, starting with the Russia hoax, uh, denying the, the uh, spying activities of the Obama administration on the Trump campaign, then going to the tax returns. You remember they said, Trump has evaded taxes. We have them here. And then Rachel Maddow opens them on the air and it turns out he actually paid his taxes. So they don't have any credibility, but she could have gotten away with it had she not then turned to Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton, who launched his career on a lie. People forget this now, but Al Sharpton really burst to national prominence with the Tawana Brawley hoax. That was a rape hoax in, what was it, the 90s, where uh, this gal accused these men of raping her. It became very racially charged, and it was just complete BS. And Al Sharpton has lied about so many other things. He has no regard for the truth whatsoever. Uh, he is a cynic. I mean, he's a true cynic where I don't even know that he's a liar so much as he just doesn't doesn't care at all whether something is true or false. But the point that they're getting at sort of hilariously uh, depicts this, this different framing that we have. The left is looking at the country through a completely different angle than the right is right now. And I, the right is more correct than the left is, but we need to understand how the framing works. I think sometimes we get a little too comfortable on the right just talking about facts, you know, just talking about the raw, raw material as though we don't have interpretive lenses ourselves. I, I'll give you an example of this. I'll give you an example completely out of the partisan sphere. So completely out of, you know, Biden or Trump or politics. Harry Styles just put on a dress. Harry Styles wore a dress. I don't even really know who Harry Styles is. I kind of recognize the name. What is he, a singer or an actor or something like that? He's some show business guy. And he takes this picture wearing a very silly dress. But as far as I can tell, he's not wearing the dress ironically. He's wearing the dress earnestly. And Candace Owens, my friend and now colleague, Candace Owens, tweets out, uh, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this and the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It's an outright right attack. Bring back manly men. And she trends for this on Twitter. People were so upset that she said this. How dare you suggest that Harry Styles can't wear a dress? Now, some people on the right, the more libertarian right, get this wrong. They say, who cares if he wears a dress? It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with culture. You know, it doesn't have to do with politics. First of all, yes, it does. Yes, it does. We need to stop this silly thing that everybody can do whatever they want to do, and that has no political or cultural effect at all. First of all, it obviously has a cultural effect. If men start wearing dresses, that is a description of culture. What is culture? It involves our cultivation. It involves how we behave in the world. Uh, right now, men wear suits. 
a little bit at least. They wear suits. That's just a, a cultural norm. Men, I guess, could wear dresses, but that would be a different culture. But moreover, it is political. Politics is just how we all get along together. That I know we have a very narrow definition of politics now to just what certain departments of the government do, but that's not historically what politics is. And I think conservatives are very silly to adopt this narrow view of politics. Politics is just how we all get along together. So obviously culture affects politics, politics affects culture. It's a little bit of a blurry line. And it is political. When a public figure does something in public, that is a political statement. And the political statement here is that men ought to wear dresses. And it's something the, the right doesn't get either, because so, sometimes the right either gets too permissive or too moralizing about this. And the real answer is somewhere in the middle. I can't believe I even have to say this. It's so, so weird that our culture has decayed so much that I have to say this obvious truth. Men wearing dresses, dressing in drag, is funny because men are not supposed to wear dresses. It is funny. I know some people want to really moralize and say drag isn't funny. It's merely an abomination. It's merely the, okay, but, but it is kind of funny. It's funny because it's incongruous because men are not supposed to wear dresses, but you need that second part for it to be funny too. If you live in a world where you think men are supposed to wear dresses, then it's not funny, right? It, it, this is something the left managed to do. They somehow managed to make drag queens boring. I don't know how you do that. They somehow managed to make these crazy, insane parades. There's a parade in, in New York on Coney Island. I think it's called the Mermaid Parade. And it's where all these drag queens dress up in crazy costumes. And it's very weird. You know, that's the whole point of it is it's supposed to be weird. Now we're supposed to be told this is entirely normal. But it's not normal. Men are not in dresses. The fact that a man can put on all of the various accoutrement and adornments of womanhood, of femininity, and still be obviously a man is what makes it funny. Because it means that there is such a thing as masculinity. There is such a thing as manliness. You can dress it all up like a woman, but still you're a man. But we've lost sight of that now because we believe that men can be women and women can be men and gender is a social construct and sex isn't real, even though it's innate and our sexual dispositions are so innate, we can't change them, we're born this way. Obviously, there are so many contradictions here. There's no such thing as gender, but women are the future, the future is female. You say, wait a second, what? I thought there's no such thing as female or male. There's no such thing as men and women, but how the future is female. And this actually gets to Candace Owens' point. What Candace is saying is the left is attacking masculinity. And they say, no, we're not. How dare you? Of course the left is attacking masculinity. The left talks about toxic masculinity all the time. And they're not talking about just brutish machismo. They're talking about all masculinity as being toxic. The left says the future is female. How many times have you seen that t-shirt if you go into a city, if you're on a college campus? Be a feminist. We all need to be feminists. Not peopleists, not humanists, not human, whatever, not, not anything that is all encompassing of all people, feminists, right? Because female is better than male. Women are better than men, according to this new pyramid of, of victimhood that the left has put forward. So you can't at the same time say the future is female, men are toxic, we need to get rid of masculinity, and also say we're not attacking masculinity. Of course you are. That's the point Candace is making. And the thing is, everything she said is true. Society cannot exist without strong men. You need strong men, usually with guns, to protect your society from threats, from disorder, from violence. Violence from outside, invading armies, war, and violence within, from criminals. That's why you need cops. That's why you need the military. And if a society doesn't have those two things, they're not going to have any society at all. They're not going to have any civilization at all because you need law enforcement if you want the law to have any effect. 
And if you don't have law in a society, you don't have a, a civilized nation. Of course you need these things. There's nothing misogynist. There's nothing show, sexually chauvinistic about saying that men should act like men. There's nothing homophobic, transphobic, phobic, phobic, whatever. There are two words here that you can use to refer to someone who is acting like a woman. Womanly and womanish. Two words. They mean the same thing, don't they? No, they mean opposite things. When women act like women, the word we use is womanly. When men act like women, the word we use is womanish. It is good for women to be womanly. It is bad for men to be womanish. Why is that? Because people are supposed to do the things that they are supposed to do. And we on the right have lost a sense of this. We've lost a sense of what freedom really means. We've, We've done exactly what the founding fathers told us not to do. The founding fathers said, do not confuse liberty and libertinism. Do not confuse liberty, which in the traditional definition is not the freedom to do what you want to do, but rather the right to do what you ought to do, oriented toward virtue. That's the traditional understanding of liberty. It's kind of, it's morphed over time. But even the founding fathers who were living during the height of, say, classical liberalism understood that virtue is essential here, doing what you ought to do, not being a libertine. Totally important. Now our understanding of liberty is, yeah, just do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. There's nothing you're supposed to do at all because you think that I'm supposed to do one thing, but someone else might think I'm supposed to do another. So therefore there's no right answer, but there is a right answer. There is. And this, this difference of framework is leading to so much of our confusion, even on the issue of free speech, which we'll get to in a second, even on the issue of censorship and book burning and all of that. We are supposed to do certain things. Should a man hold a door for a woman? Yes. Why? Because it's polite, because men are physically stronger. It's the right thing to do. Should a man pick up the tab? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that's a good norm. I think that's a good moray. But we're inverting that. We're getting rid of that sort of thing. I looked at the Senate the other day. This was just yesterday. They were having a debate over, uh, it it wasn't even a debate over masks, but it became a debate over masks. And I realized that the womanish Sherrod Brown is exactly the kind of man that this is exactly the kind of problem that Candace Owens was talking about. Because on the floor of the U.S. Senate, what is supposed to be the greatest deliberative body in the world, it broke out into bickering over who was going to wear a filthy cloth, cloth mask over their face. Senator from Ohio. I'd start by asking the presiding officer to please wear a mask as he speaks. And people below him are, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that the behavior. I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking, like most senators. Well, I most senators. So I'll, I'll put it back on, but I don't need your instruction from. Anyone. I know you don't need my instruction, but I, there clearly isn't much interest in this body in public health. We have a president who hasn't shown up at the coronavirus task force meeting in months. We have a majority leader that calls us back here to vote on an unqualified nominee, and and at the same time to vote for judge after judge after judge, exposing all the people who can't say anything. I understand the people in front of you and the presiding officer and expose all the staff here and the the majority leader just doesn't seem to care. That is so embarrassing for Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown should be very ashamed of himself. His family should be very ashamed to share a last name with that individual. He shows up to the floor of the United States Senate where you were supposed to make persuasive speeches, grand oratory, on the important public matters of the day. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to whine 
and nag and passive aggressively needle the presiding senator here, that would be a Republican Dan Sullivan, for not wearing a cloth mask when he's many, 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 many feet away from anybody. Even let's just say for a minute that the masks are like super duper effective. Let's just, let's go with that hypothetical. Dan Sullivan not wearing a mask when he's so far away from everybody ain't going to do anything. It doesn't matter at all. But she went, mm, I, I want to, well, you need to wear a mask. I can't tell what everyone else what to do, but I'm telling you what to do. But actually he can't. Sherrod Brown has no right to tell Dan Sullivan what to do, especially as he's pre- presiding over this, this hearing. And, and Dan Sullivan responds in a manly way. He goes, you don't, you don't get to lecture me about anything. No, I'm going to sit here without my mask as I'm speaking like an adult. So no, sorry. Yeah. And you're, and you're making us vote. Right. That's your job to, you're a senator. Your job is to vote. Yeah. And you're making us vote on unqualified candidates. Okay. If you think the candidate's unqualified, make a speech about that. Don't just nag and needle and whine. It's pathetic. I feel like I'm Don Corleone talking to Johnny Fontaine. I want to shake Sherrod Brown. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with this guy? What's the matter with our culture? That is not how men are supposed to behave. It's not how women are supposed to behave. And it's certainly men should not be doing a very caricatured, ridiculous impression of of such a a womanish-ish sort of behavior. It's absolutely pathetic. We, We are not seeing clearly the the framework under which we should recognize our society. But if you do want to see clearly who's at your door, you should use Ring. Ring is so helpful. You know, there's a thousand reasons why protecting your home should matter to you. Whatever you call home, Ring has everything you need to protect it. So, you know, Ring has been with us since basically the beginning of this show. You can see, hear, and speak to whoever is at your door from anywhere with video doorbells. Keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy to install indoor and outdoor cameras. Protect your whole home with Ring Alarm, a powerful, affordable whole home security system that you can easily install yourself. I'm very excited. I am very soon going to have a home in Nashville, Tennessee. Just gotten here. I can't wait to have it. And I'm so pleased that I will have Ring. Because look, you want to know who's at your door maybe in the middle of the night. You want to know even who's dropping a package off. You want to know maybe if your mother-in-law is going to come visit you. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro, the perfect way to start your Ring experience. Go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That is ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. So, so pathetic. Also, they have more pressing matters. Even, again, let's say that the masks are super duper effective. Fine. Let's say that. Let's say that Sherrod Brown actually is somewhat at risk. He has gone to the Senate, ostensibly, to work on public policy, to make life better for the people, to to actually sacrifice a little bit from his personal life so that he can give to the public, so he can serve the public. And all he does is get up there and whine about his personal safety, which is not at risk from Dan Sullivan all that far away, not wearing a cloth mask during a virus that has an extraordinarily high survival rate. But even if it, again, even if it were dangerous to him, this prioritization of of one's personal comfort and safety over the public in the U.S. Senate, for goodness sakes, very, very unmanly, very much uh, proves K 
Candace Owens's point. And the Senate is really at risk here, by the way. Do you want more of Sherrod Brown in the Senate or less? Right now, the Senate is run by Republicans. It could be run by Democrats. It seriously could. It looked on election night, you know, when all the, all the legally counted votes were coming in, when the poll watchers were there, looked very clear that Republicans were going to hold the Senate. And then, you know, middle of the night, people start counting. I mean, David Schaefer, who's the head of the Georgia GOP, said that they, they closed down vote counting at 1030 at, at night. And then poll watchers went home. And then they illegally kept counting the votes until the wee hours of the morning. Well, when those votes came in, all of a sudden, all the races tightened up. The Senate is up for grabs, and it's going to come down to Georgia. Two Senate races in Georgia, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler two Republicans. They're running against really bad hombres. Well, John Ossoff, John Ossoff is that Democrat who lost a congressional seat and Hollywood poured a ton of money into him. They made him a big deal. He was like Beto 1.0 and then he lost. And then what do you do? And as a Democrat, you fail up. So then he runs for Senate. He loses again, but then they find some votes. And so now there's going to be a runoff. Uh, John Ossoff is just kind of a joke and hopefully he loses. But there's another guy running who's, who's like a really bad guy. His name is Raphael Warnock. He's running against Kelly Loeffler. Kelly Loeffler was weakened a little bit in her Senate race because there were some accusations of some financial problems or whatever. It was all kind of murky, but anyway, it, it weakened her a little bit in the race. Raphael Warnock is a pastor, I take it, of some denomination. And he's a real radical. This guy uh, said just a few years ago in 2016, that America needs to repent for its worship of whiteness. No matter what happens next month, more than a third of the nation that would go along with this is reason to be afraid. America needs to repent for its worship of whiteness on, on full display this season. How is it that you can insult everybody, all Muslims, something other than children of God, call Mexicans murderers and rapists, insult the disabled. How is it you can insult everybody, but then one weekend somebody discovers in the recording that you insult those whose daughters and wives look like those who have been supporting you, and then all of a sudden we can't take it anymore. Gotta repent for the worship of whiteness. The worship of whiteness. So what he's talking about there is Donald Trump. He says Trump is, you know, he's a white, basically he's implying he's a white supremacist or white identitarian of some sort. And he's insulting all the people of other races, which is obviously not true because Donald Trump outperformed Mitt Romney in 2016 among black and Latino voters. But, but moreover, he increased his support among black and Latino voters substantially in 2020. From all the numbers that we have out from the 2020 election, I know it's still being counted, all the numbers we have out, he gained in support among black voters, among Latino voters, among every, among, among black women, among whatever, all, every single group you want to look at other than white men. <laughs> the one group he lost support in was white men. Everyone else, he went up. So totally knocks down his premise. Also, the idea that America worships whiteness is preposterous. 
The only thing we ever talk about in this country is how racist and terrible America is. We only have one racially discriminatory system of laws in this country. It's called affirmative action. It disadvantages white and Asian applicants. I don't know why the Asians got lumped in, but it disadvantages white and Asian applicants to college and, and employment. And it gives an advantage to black and Hispanic and other applicants. It's not the worship of whiteness. All we ever talk about, white supremacy, the worst, most terrible problem. If you look, Pew Research did uh, an analysis of racial consciousness in the country. Every racial group has higher than 50% racial consciousness, except for white people. They're the only people that don't. And, and their racial consciousness is down at about 15%. People who say that their, their race is extraordinarily important to their sense of identity, either important or very important. And of course, ask any white person, ask me. I guess I, I qualify, you know, I'm a little swarthy, but I think I qualify as a white guy. I don't, when someone says, are you, what, what is, who are you? What are you? Do I say I'm, I'm a white guy? No, that's not, it's not even like in the top 50. I'm Catholic. I'm a New Yorker. I guess originally no, no longer a New Yorker. Now I'm a good old Southern boy in Tennessee. I'm uh, American. I'm a conservative. I'm whatever. I can go down the list. White guys is pretty low on the list, but that would be, that would not be true on average for people of other races. So the idea that we worship, well, it's crazy. But what it is, is a way in to, to attack America's founding, to attack the idea of America, right? Because it's saying it's rotten to the core. Those are alternate universes that we're living in. The one that says America is a good place. It's the most racially tolerant place ever in the history of the world, basically. And the one that says America's worships whiteness. Now, Warnock, this lunatic, this tr true lunatic is wrong. We are right. We, the people who say, now, race is not the most important thing in this country. It's actually a good country. It's good for people of all races. And just calm down and shut up. <laughs> you know, we are correct. That framing is right. There can be more and less correct framings of how we view the world. But that Warnock framing, the one that says America is hopelessly bigoted, that one could win. That could win in Georgia. And by the way, if they win in Georgia, if those two, two races go, all of a sudden, Democrats, and, and if Joe Biden becomes the president, all of a sudden, Democrats have control of the Senate. That's not a great idea. That's not a good thing at all. This guy also, the way that you know he's also a complete lunatic is he once drove over his wife's foot. He ran over his wife's foot while they were having an argument. If you try to run over your wife during an argument, you are a lunatic. But it's, this guy's also mainstream. In 2013, he delivered the benediction at the public prayer service at the second inauguration of Barack Obama. In uh, March 2019, Warnock hosted an interfaith meeting on climate change at his church. I, don't know, I feel like I want to put quotes around almost every word in that sentence. Uh, Al Gore showed up to that. So this guy is, is fairly mainstream and this could throw the Senate. And it's an election in Georgia where there are lots of irregularities. Do you know in Georgia, they just discovered 2,600 votes in a pro-Trump county. They, I don't know, they just discovered it. Good thing they started looking for him again. Good thing conservatives made them start looking for them again, because those 2,600 votes from the pro-Trump county, I guess they just disappeared. Meanwhile, big tech and the main, mainstream, I guess you would say establishment media, are trying to call this election already. They're trying to describe themselves as official sources. And Joe Biden admits who's really going to run the country if he ascends to the presidency, which we will get to. But first, if conservatives care about a free press, they must abandon establishment media cartel and support alternatives. You should replace your cable and your news subscriptions with the Daily Wire. 
You know, in days past, we used to say, well, look, at least there's that one channel that's been on cable for a while and they've been okay to us. I think this election threw that one out the window. I think now conservatives look and they say, wow, all these establishment networks, even the ones we thought we had, they're not doing it. They're not really with us. Come on over to the Daily Wire. We have big plans for the next four years. We got Candace. She's going to keep trending and keep getting in trouble and we're going to keep having her do it (laughs) because someone's got to speak the truth in this crazy culture. We've got PragerU behind our paywall now. We've got PragerU on our streaming service, which is great because actually Candace has a show on PragerU and so do I. I have the book club on PragerU. That's going to be over at Daily Wire. We've got news shows coming up. We've got a lot of fun new content. We're going to be making culture this year. Replace your subscription to those legacy establishment outlets. Show your support for the Daily Wire. Keep the leftist tears on coming. We'll be right back with a lot more. Floyd County, pro-Trump County, just discovers 2,600 ballots that had not been counted. This will give President Trump at least an 800-vote chomp into Joe Biden's current lead in Georgia. Joe Biden's current lead in Georgia is 14,000 votes. Now, whether those votes are legitimate or not, and I think there is a lot of evidence of irregularities all over the country, it is simply a fact that it's going to be very difficult. Just historically, it's very difficult to overcome those kind of margins because uh, recounts don't usually flip them. Now, you also have to remember we're in an unprecedented territory because we've never had widespread unsolicited mail-in votes. So it, 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 it opens up the system to a lot more fraud. And theoretically, it should make it easier to flip votes if they're illegitimate votes. But maybe it won't. Maybe the court, courts won't catch up. So all these little 800 votes here, 1,000 votes here, it's going to be really important if there is any hope to, uh, to overcome the establishment and overcome the blob and uh, get us get us ourselves another Trump term. Uh, Trump is currently leading Biden in Floyd County by a 43% margin of difference. Was it just an accident that those vo- votes disappeared? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it was. I wouldn't put money on it, but maybe it was. This is the problem. There are a lot, we're hearing about a lot of these irregularities and time is running out. And the official sources we are told, have already called the election for Biden. This one, this one really scandalized me. And I, I have a low opinion, of course, of big tech and the media. But this scandalized me. Trump tweets out, I won the election. Very, very simple. And Twitter, I mean, put, now they put little warnings on all of his tweets. And they say, quote, official sources called this election differently. That is not true. Official sources have not called this election. In fact, the only official source, the most official source that has called this election is President Trump, who is the president of the United States, who said, I won the election. May turn out that he does not get a second term for whatever reason. But if you want to talk about an official source, Trump would be the most official source. The official sources who call elections are the states who certify the results. Then the official sources are the electors who vote for the president on December 14th. Those are the official sources. Twitter is not an official source. The AP, CNN, Fox News even, not official sources. You won't find them in the laws of the United States, certainly not in the Constitution. They're not there. But this is a power grab. This has always been a power grab. 
this is an alternate universe where the, the official sources, the real official sources, the president, for instance, the states, the electors, well, they're all illegitimate. How long has the left been prattling on about getting rid of the electors altogether, the electoral college? In this alternate universe, in this alternate leftist universe, the official sources are CNN. The official sources are Jack Dorsey and Twitter. The official sources are, of course, I can't forget, last but not least, Dr. Fauci, our true ruler. He's been with us through, I think, six presidential administrations. Presidents come and go. Dr. Fauci stays. And Dr. Fauci is now flexing his power, showing his political arrogance, his hubris, who really rules us in this country, the administrative state. Dr. Fauci, uh, one among many, but, but a prominent one. He came out and just said to President Trump, okay, enough funny games, guys, enough counting the ballots, enough following the legal process in the Constitution. Trump has to, su- uh, to secede, not secede, concede. <laughs> Maybe he sh- should secede too. That's a, that'll be a topic for another day. Trump has to concede for public health. The virus is not going to stop and call a timeout while, while things change. The virus is just going to keep going. The process is just going to keep going. This is something that just is now going in the very, very strong right direction. The vaccines are effective. We want to get it approved as quickly as we possibly can. We want to get doses to people starting in December. And then we want to really get the ball rolling as we get into January, February and March. We want a smooth uh, process for that. And the way you do that is by essentially having the two groups speak to each other and exchange information. That's not true. That's just not true. That's just a lie. Donald Trump does not need to talk to Joe Biden to get doses of the vaccine out in December. Because contrary to what the media are telling you or Dr. Fauci wants, President Trump is the president in December and in January for that matter. And he doesn't need Joe Biden to help him. I know the media have been trying to frame this as Joe Biden's wonderful vaccine. This was all Trump. They mocked Trump. They said, there's no way he's going to get a vaccine by the fall. Then he did because he handled this very well. And then we get the vaccine and now we're told, but we we can't get it out in December unless he concedes immediately and ignores the legal process in the constitution. The way Fauci talks, he says, look, I get it. I get it. We have this pesky constitution thing, but look, the virus doesn't care. Science doesn't care about your ridiculous little politics, your laws, your rules. Science doesn't care. So we need to ignore your politics and your rules and your constitution because we need a scientific government. This is exactly what Woodrow Wilson wrote about. This is exactly what all the early progressives wrote about. And you hear it from progressives today up to and including presidential candidate Joe Biden. That's what you hear. Well, look, science tells us we got to ignore global warming is going to kill us all five years ago or whatever it was supposed to kill us. And so that's why we have to give our sovereignty away to international bodies and have them write our laws for us because, you know, because global warming is going to kill us in the seventies. No, I'm sorry, that was global cooling in the seventies. Well, something's going to kill us. Give away your rights. Give away your political tradition. I don't think so. I don't think we need to tell Joe Biden a damn thing to get that vaccine out in December. And I hope that the president doesn't. I don't like Dr. Fauci. <laughs> I'm finally willing to say that, okay? We've all been making jokes about Dr. Fauci for a long time. I don't like him. I think he's incompetent at just about everything other than going on television with a straight face and contradicting what he just said the day before. What has he gotten right about this? The most famous thing he did in this entire pandemic was to go on TV early on and say, don't get a mask. Now we're told you have to wear a mask all the time. 
Even when talking about the vaccine, he said, yeah, it'll be 70% effective. Now we're told it's gonna be 90, 95% effective. Fauci said that was basically impossible. Why are we listening to him? The guy's been wrong about everything. He's just sort of likable on TV to certain people who don't know any better. He's a slick politician. Well, fine. If he's, if he wants to be a politician, run for office, buddy. Run for office, run for Congress, run for the Senate, run for president. He thinks he's the president. He thinks he can tell the duly elected president what to do. Because when it comes to Democrat presidents, progressive presidents, often the experts and the bureaucrats can tell them what to do. But he can't always tell Trump what to do. Fauci is a very anti-American view of the relationship between experts and the bureaucracy and the administrative state and politics. And this guy never wants to give up power because he knows if Biden wins, if Biden ascends to the presidency, he's got that perfect kind of progressive president who's going to let the experts run the country. Joe Biden just told us this the other day. Here's what I do. Let, let me tell you what the health experts have said to me. Um, and it's not because I'm unique and president-elect. It's because of my family. They strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum, maximum. They, they suggest five people, maximum 10 people, socially distanced wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. So Jill and I spent this morning, like many of you, trying to figure out what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? How are we going to do it? And we've narrowed down which family members and that they were tested, recently tested in 24 hours. And so I would strongly urge for the sake, not just your sake, for the sake of your children, your mother, your father, your, your sisters, your brothers, whoever you get together for Thanksgiving, think about this. There should be no group more than 10 people in one room at one time, I mean, in, 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 inside the homes. That's what they're telling me. They're telling me, they're, you know, making sure that that's the case. That's what they're telling me. That's what they're telling me to do. And now I'm telling you to do that because I'm the duly elected president. That's what Joe Biden thinks. I don't think he's that yet. We'll find out when they certify the votes. But what he's saying is I'm the duly elected president and I'm nothing but a conduit for the experts and the bureaucrats who have been wrong about everything to rule this country. That's what he's saying. And that's, that's how they do it. I mean, that is, that is much more the permanent government than these elected guys. Even someone like Trump, who's a real innovator, who's a guy who really shakes things up. They come and go. Trump is getting at most two terms, even if it all works out in our favor. He's at most getting two terms. I'm waiting for him to pull a Charles II, you know, disband parliament and uh, just rule for like years and years and years, but it's probably not going to happen. So he'll come and go and Fauci will remain and the permanent state will remain and they will tell us what to do. How unmanly for a president to come up there and say, well, the, the experts told me I can't have Thanksgiving. So ah, shucks. Okay. We're not having Thanksgiving. You know, the experts who were wrong about everything. Yeah, they, that's what they said. So Anyway, maybe, maybe we'll get a Thanksgiving next year. Oh my gosh, give it a rest. How un-American, how pathetic, how totally pathetic. What a gosh, if this guy actually wins, this is going to be a very, very humiliating few years. Who knows how long? Could be, could be, could be four years, I guess. Who knows? That is the government that we've got. The scientific experts. You know the scientific experts who say that men are women? 
scientific experts who say the babies aren't human, scientific experts who say that cloth masks don't do anything, but then they say the cloth masks are super duper important. You got to wear them all the time. You know them. Well, they've got a, they were attacking this book. You saw this book that my friend Abigail Schreier put out, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Abigail Schreier believes that adults, if they want to mutilate their bodies and, you know, men look more like women or women look more like men, it's totally fine. She is basically as liberal as you get on that question of transgenderism. But what she said, very modest suggestion, she said, maybe we shouldn't castrate children. You know, children are not at the age of consent. (laughs) They don't, they don't know very much. That's why they're children, right? They need to be educated. They need to grow up. They need to mature. And so maybe we don't irreversibly mutilate their bodies before, you know, they're 12. Just a thought. And then this was, there were all these radicals who protested, got this taken off the bookshelves at Target. Thankfully, Target put it back on. We were talking about this when I was filling in for Rush on Friday. We kind of made a big deal about this. It was just bubbling up then. But I think by the end of the show, by the end of the day that day, there was such a conservative backlash that Target decided to put it back on. That's good. But in the academy, they they don't want to put that book back on the shelves. In higher education, they want to burn the book. Uh, UC Berkeley English professor Grace Lavery supports burning, literally burning, Abigail Schreier's book. Grace Lavery. Now, that's kind of interesting. It sounds like Grace Lavery. And the name is a made-up name because Grace Lavery is not a woman. Grace Lavery is a man who identifies as a woman, which actually people reporting on this story apparently don't know that. But just kind of Googled the guy and yeah, it turns out he's a trans woman. So this, this UC Berkeley professor... Grace Slavery says, since some people have misunderstood my tone and censorship is is an important matter, and as a public educator, I have a duty to be precise. Let me clarify. I do not advocate defacing library books. I do encourage followers to steal Abigail Schreier's book and burn it on a pyre. Please make sure you use a safe pyre (laughs) and that you have an extinguisher to hand. Uh, Be safe when you are burning books. Remember, all you're doing is removing a commodity from circulation, much as one might destroy a contaminated crop or take action if a distributor failed to do so. Now, it's easy to attack this lunatic, this person living in an alternate universe where English professors are supposed to burn books. But I actually think he's making a point that is worth conservatives considering because conservatives now take up the mantle of free speech absolutism. We just support all speech at all times and it doesn't matter how coarse or how crass or how subversive or how seditious or how treasonous even. We support all speech. You can never get in trouble for speech. And that's always what conservatives have supported and the left is... is pro-censorship. Okay. I think we're overstating our case a little bit. I think that we're ignoring the Hayes Code, uh, the Hayes Code, which, you know, uh, forced a kind of standard on popular culture, which conservatives supported and radicals opposed. And conservatives rightly supported it. And the best movies in American history were made under the Hayes Code, uncoincidentally. I think we're forgetting the House Un-American Affairs Committee, which rooted out communists from the government and which did engage in a sort of censorship and engaged in a sort of speech code and a kind of standard. I think we're forgetting that. And I think when we pretend that conservatives have no standards at all, we're falling into a trap of political correctness. Political correctness, when it developed, there are a lot of terms for it. It came up in the really beginning in the 20s and 30s, and it's come up all the way through the present. Political correctness is really devious, and it's really effective because it's two things at once. It's a speech code, right? It's a, it's a list of words we have to say and that we can't say and behaviors that we have to engage in, we can't behave in. Uh, and it's also an anti-speech code. 
Namely, it destroys the old standards. Whatever, political correctness is a negative vessel. It is an attack on the old standards. And so, so to use a, a simple example, now, uh, you know, in the, in the olden days, we used to have sort of moral opprobrium for certain sexual behaviors because of, you know, because of traditional sexual morality, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, even. And today we're told the opposite is true. So if you, you know, you see the kind of internet meme of die cis scum or the idea that heterosexuality is, is not just on an equal playing field with homosexuality, but it's actually worse because it's oppressive or cisgenderism, namely if you're a man and you know that you're a man, you're a cisgender, is not just on an equal ground with transgenderism, a man who thinks he's a woman, but it's actually worse because it's oppressive. Men are worse than women because men are oppressive in the patriarchy. White people are, you know, we worship whiteness in America. It's a white supremacist country. It's actually worse than the other races. It's, it's a total flipping, right? This is not to say that traditional behaviors uh, couldn't use a little work. Of course, all behaviors at all times could use work because it's a fallen world. But to utterly flip the, the traditional Christian moral standard, for instance, or even ancient moral standards in favor of radical leftism premised on uh, extreme materialism, extreme individualism, extreme, all these various things is, is an anti-speech. And so if you, the, the trick of political correctness is if you go along with political correctness, then the radicals get their way. But if you oppose political correctness on the grounds that you oppose all standards and codes and things like that, the radicals also get their way because what they were trying to do is attack the old standards. So as long as you say, look, I'm against political correctness and I'm against all speech codes, then you're saying, okay, they get to have explicit content all over TV. They get to degrade the culture in movies. They get to have weird stuff going on all the time. They get to push their radical policies and you really can't say very much about it because you've said there are no standards at all. In reality, there, there is always a sort of censorship in all cultures and societies. There are certain things that are just out of bounds that you're just, you can't say, and you will be ostracized for it, and you may even have some punishments for it. We've had that in America all the time. We've had laws against obscenity from the very beginning. And no one ever said the First Amendment protected obscenity. At least, at least only fringe people have said that. We've always said that. We've had laws against sedition. We have laws against threats. We have laws against fighting words. And that doesn't violate the First Amendment. There are things that are out of bounds. There are things that are out of bounds for conservatives. There are things that are out of bounds for leftists. And what this Berkeley professor is saying is, yeah, we need to move those bounds. It's sometimes it's called the Overton window. Or that's another term for it. We need to move these bounds more in favor of the left so that perfectly mainstream things like don't trans the kids are now so unacceptable that you will be ostracized. You'll be called a bigot. You could lose your job. Maybe you could be punished by the government for it. And I think what conservatives need to say is not, we need to lose all standards and it's fine. If you want to trans the kids, that's, you know, that's fine. If you want to, you do you or whatever. Instead of that, we need to say, okay, we want to have a good standard. We want to have a good standard that everybody likes, that, that allows people to flourish. That is not, a, that's not oppressive. That's not bigoted. That's not any of that, but that preserves culture and allows human beings to flourish. That, that's what we have to do. That's, the, the adult version of this guy's conversation, of, of what he's trying to push. And I, I think in a way, this, this professor is, is pointing out a, a mistake conservatives have made. And, and if we want to quit living in alternate universes, we need to drop this idea that it's just a, 
the society is a neutral playing ground and anyone can do whatever they want. That's not true. When you believe that anyone can just do whatever they want all the time and there's no consequence to that, which has never been true in any society, then you get this polarization, then you get this balkanization, then you get these alternate universes. What we really need to do is actually engage with the other people and say, no, this is better than that. No, I think you should consider this instead of that. No, actually, you should wave the flag instead of burn the flag. No, I think we should actually be ruled under the Constitution, not under whatever rule Dr. Fauci put out. I think actually the duly elected president is more official than some bureaucrat in some random department somewhere. We need to have a standard and defend that standard. That requires courage. That requires, you might say, manly courage. And unfortunately, as Candace shows us, that is in short supply. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. International gazillionaires at Davos are planning the Great Reset, which is, if you haven't heard of it, an attempt to use the pandemic as an excuse to impose international socialism. What are these geniuses missing? That patriotism, individualism, and conservatism are on the march, and surprise, we're winning. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. Mm-hmm.